All right, as the kids are being dismissed, if you want to grab a Bible, uh, you can open to Revelation chapter 2. We're going to head there in just a moment. And uh, if you're using the Bible in front of you in the pew, it is on page 1041. You can turn there. If you're using a different Bible, you could try that page number, but I don't think it'll work. Um, but man, I am glad to see you guys today. I've uh, been praying for you this week. Believe God has a word specifically for each of us today, whether you're a guest or whether you're a regular here. For those of you who are regulars, I believe God's got some things for us as a corporate church uh, that he's going to remind us of, reveal to us as we go throughout the day today. But uh, I, I want to make two announcements real quick. One, uh, next Sunday is our Royal Family Kids Camp commissioning service. And so if you are new here, or you don't understand what that is. We sponsor Royal Family Kids Camp. It's a one-week camp for foster children in this area, the surrounding areas. And for one week, we get to take them out of whatever environment they find themselves in. Some of them come from some, some difficult places right now. And so it gives them a week to just, you know, be a kid and experience the love of God. That's really all we want them to do for that week is have fun and know that God loves them and we love them. And so it's a great week. We've got staff members from our church and from churches all around this area, um, sometimes from other states. I don't know if we have other states. We do have other states this year again. And uh, so they'll all be here next week and they'll all be wearing the same t-shirt so you'll know who they are. But uh, don't stay home because the service will be a commissioning for them, but it's also for all of us because as the host church of Royal Family Kids Camp. Uh, you're our prayer partners. You are a part of what God does there, whether you actually go to the grounds or not, because we are the host church for that. And so uh, that's going to be next week. Also this week, um, for Tuesday night House of Prayer, uh, we're going to meet from 6.30 to 7.45, and we're going to meet downtown. We're going to meet at the Kansas Mall. How many of you know where the Kansas Mall is? One of you. It's the best kept secret in here on two of you. The Kansas Mall is to the, the south side of Sherwin-Williams, okay? We're going to meet there. There's some benches and a tables and a, a little awning thing that kind of covers some areas. And we're going to meet there rain or shine. So if it rains, bring an umbrella. If it storms, pray. Um, <laughs> there's no plan B for this. But uh, I do feel like we need to meet down there. Um, some of you know that we... The Lord put a piece of property on our hearts back in 2018 down there, the old Bluebird consignment shop. And in 2018, we voted to pursue trying to acquire that property. We felt like God told us to restore that piece of property in the center of our town as a type of restoration for our city. And so we've been looking into that um, to date. Um, I don't know if you know this or not, but when I started praying for that property, I actually was praying for five pieces of property. So everything from 2nd Street to Sherwin-Williams, I believed uh, and had vision for what God wanted to use them for. Um, apartments for a school of ministry, uh, Uncle Ted's in a vacant lot for a parking lot, Sherwin-Williams for a kid and teen activity center, and then uh, the main building for a church campus. And so I've been praying over it for more than a year, probably since at least January of 2018, uh, if not before that. And uh, just a few weeks ago, the owner of those apartments actually called me and asked if we were interested in buying them. Well, of course, I'm interested in buying them, but uh, I don't have any money. And uh, two, I don't know that our school of ministry or our housing for our campus pastors is like coming soon, so I don't know if we want that. Uh, and I'm telling him all this on the phone. I mean, I'm not afraid to tell people I feel like God's asking us to do crazy things, and uh, we're just you know, waiting to see what happens. And so um, I just believe that there's still a stirring in that area and God wants us to go there. Um, and so I also believe God has a plan for this property here. I uh, don't fully know what that is. Many of you know, we also were talking with the New Jerusalem Church about possibly buying the property from us. Um, they have no purchase agreement with us right now. That's still an interest. I uh, don't know exactly, uh, but I do know that God wants us to use this property also to serve our city. Uh, we believe he put it in our hearts to work for the peace and prosperity of Huron, um, and that's something we're going to do, and whatever that looks like, uh, we need to do it. What I do know is that we cannot be idle, and by idle, I mean we can't let this building fall down around us while we wait to see what comes next. And so if you haven't noticed in your program for the last several weeks, uh, I've been looking for help. There are some projects. There are some cleaning. There's a whole lot of work that needs to be done around this building. And uh, if you've got any free time, you do, 
If you are willing to use your free time to serve, uh, give me a call. We'll get you plugged into the, the things that need to be done. Um, thank you, Shane and Sean, for working on our parking lot. This last week, it looks good, doesn't it? Yeah, I'm excited too, but um, yeah. So anyway, um, I believe as a church what God has been asking us to do, and it's so interesting because we're in this series called First Love, and um, over the last two weeks since I've been recovering from, from surgery, the first week after surgery was a really, um, uh, it was a weird time for me. Uh, the Lord took me on a little journey, and uh I don't have time to go into it, and I'm not even going to try, um, but if you ever want to hear about it, it's really cool, and uh, I'll talk to you about it. We can have a cup of coffee, um, but I remembered that three times since I've been in Huron, I have actually preached on this passage, First Love, uh, actually done series on it, and one I actually did right after a time in my life in 2013 when I took time off because I had kind of a breakdown of sorts and emotionally, mentally, physically just kind of um, fell apart for a little bit and uh, God put the pieces back together and right after that I actually did a series here and at James Valley because I did spiritual emphasis week on first love um, and I did it one other time previously too uh, early on in my ministry and so this is a passage a message that I believe God keeps bringing us back to we have always contended in the time that I've been here as a pastor to be a kingdom culture what I mean by kingdom culture is to be a place where the presence and power of God is real, not just in a worship service, but in our daily lives. So thank you for those of you that are recognizing God working in your daily lives and telling us about it, um, but also where the love of God is demonstrated. Every church in America says that we love people, but not every church in America demonstrates love the way the Bible actually tells us to demonstrate it. And um, we're going to talk a little bit about that. But I believe that uh, God's given me a specific word for today. And I'm going to share that with you. Um, and I'm going to do just a little bit of coverage of last week just so that you get caught up if you weren't here. Uh, I will tell you we post everything online and uh, there are CDs available. And I believe God gives me the responsibility every single week to bring a word to you. Um, but I believe you have a responsibility to receive a word also. So if you, if you want to hear uh, what I shared last week, it's available to you online. Uh, if you don't, you can just try to pick up where we left off last week. And so in Revelation chapter 2, there are 2 and 3, there are seven specific letters written to seven specific churches. And each of those letters has a specific message for a specific church. But they also circulated them to all churches, so there was something that every church could benefit from, even though it wasn't specifically addressed to them. I believe there is, that God still speaks to all of us today also. I believe there is a biblical message that applies to all people, all believers, all churches. I mean, we can't say that, you know, God doesn't want us to love people. I mean, it's a message for all of us. It's applicable to everyone in every situation, all time. Um, but there are specific messages that God has for individual churches. Can you feel the bass coming from the children's area? Doesn't it sound exciting? <laughs> it's totally crazy. I've never felt it like this before. It's either God or the children. Focus. Okay. So there's a specific message that's applicable to individuals that's not applicable to everybody or to specific churches. Uh, what do I mean by that? Well, why do you live in Huron and not Haiti? I mean, the Bible tells us to take the gospel to all people. Why aren't you in Haiti right now? Well, you don't believe that God has specifically told you to go live in Haiti, but some people have. And some people live in Myanmar, and some people live in Spain, and some people live in Turkey, and so because that's, where, that's a, not a message that's applied to everyone. Some people, like David Wilkerson, at one point felt like God said, get rid of your television. And he did, and out of that, God birthed Teen Challenge. Now, it doesn't mean if you give up your TV, you're going to birth a teen challenge, I mean, or something like it. But when God speaks a specific word to you, it's not so you get up and preach to everyone that they should get rid of their televisions. It's so that God can do what he wants to do in you. 
specific message for specific people. And so the church in Ephesus is who this first letter is written to. And Ephesus was founded in AD 50, we think. And about five years later, the apostle Paul comes there and he visits them. And at some point he sends Timothy to them. And about 10 years into their existence, he writes to them a letter to the Ephesians. It's in your Bible. It's called Ephesians. That's a letter from Paul in prison to this church in in Ephesus. Then around AD 80 or 90, So about 30 to 40 years in, John, the apostle, who also pastored in Ephesus, we believe, for a while. Um, We actually believe he died in Ephesus, but at some point, he was on exile, prison, on an island of Patmos, and on that island is where he got these messages. Now, if you have a red-letter edition of the Bible, these messages are written in red, meaning Jesus, not John, is speaking this to the church. So John writes this letter to them about 30 to 40 years into their existence. And last week, if you want to look through it, you can. We're not going to read it. We did it last week. He commends them for being hard workers, for being very persevering. They were persevering during a time of Domitian. He was persecuting Christians, believers at this time, and so the the Roman emperor. And uh, they were not tolerating wicked people. They were maintaining truth, not like the Corinthian church, remember, who was letting people get away with things that were sin. Uh, They weren't doing that. They were testing those who claimed to be apostles and found them false and they were persevering enduring hardships for the name of Jesus and they'd done all of this without growing weary or without quitting and so what we learn from this is by our standards Ephesus is a great church if you were visiting them you'd be like wow this is a good church I mean they do a lot of good stuff they've got good standards they're holy they're righteous they faced hardship but man they're still going strong they're hard workers and you may not see anything wrong But Jesus tells them, I know your deeds. And he found one thing wrong. And that one thing is that they had forsaken their first love. Literally, that word forsaken means they stopped maintaining and insisting upon first love. Don't miss this. They were doing a lot of good stuff. They were serving God. They were not tolerating wicked people. They were testing the apostles. They claimed to be apostles, found them false. They were doing all this hard work, but they were not insisting and maintaining first love. Not not meaning they weren't going up to people and being like, I insist that you love people. That's not what he's talking about. What he's saying is in their daily lives. I mean, they probably had a vision statement on the wall of their church that said, love God, love people. They probably repeated it. What's your church about? Well, we love God and we love people. But in their daily lives, it didn't add up. The word first that we looked at means first in time or space or degree, best or most important. So this is not necessarily a call to this church to go back to a previous time in their brains and start doing what they did when they first got saved. That's not necessarily what this means. What this means is there is a call, there is a standard, there is a love that is based upon the character and the nature of God. And we need to come back to a place where that is the most important thing in our lives. The word love is the word agape, and it's a strong non-sexual affection, regard for a person and their good as understanding, as understood by God's moral character, characterized by a willing forfeiture of rights or privileges in another person's behalf. So in other words, it's a self-sacrificing emptying of self for the benefit of others type of love. And I know instantly in our brains it says, well, if I sacrifice myself on behalf of another, then I won't have for me. And yet that's the definition of love. He emptied himself. We love to sing, you emptied yourself of all but love, but we're unwilling to do that for others, especially if they're not living up to the standards we think they should. And yet Jesus, when none of us were living up to the standards that we should, 
when we were his enemies, emptied himself of all but love and died for us. Now go and do likewise. He says it over and over and over. And we can get really good at coming to church and worshiping God and paying offerings and singing songs and lifting our hands and dressing up nice and doing all of these activities and yet be void of love. And as we looked at last week, the apostle Paul says, you can give everything you own to the poor and you can sacrifice your body to be martyred for the faith and not have love and you'll gain nothing. So this is a very important message. Now, he tells them to remember it, I believe, because the Apostle Paul, in his letter to them, said he prayed that they would be rooted and established in love. If you look at the end of the verse, that you would be filled to the fullness of the measure of all that God is, the, the way to do that is to be established in love, what he's reminding them of here in Revelation chapter 2. So it's possible for us to be doing lots of activity and be void of agape or love. And so he calls them back to this first work, meaning keep this at the top and then everything else is going to come into place. It's not a question of what great sacrifices I'm making it's a question of where I'm saying no to God. Because if I'm saying no to him, there's no first love. It doesn't matter if I say yes 99 times, one no means no agape. It could be a human type of love, but when we say no to God anywhere, at any point, it's not agape anymore. Because it's no longer an emptying self-sacrifice. That's why the guy that came to Jesus and went away sad because Jesus said, here's the one thing you need to do. And some of us sit in church week after week and there's one thing God's telling us to do and we're forgetting it. And I believe he's going to remind us of that today. It's not a question of how many people I'm loving. It's a question of who I'm not loving. So we really have to learn to define the scripture in our lives. For example, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 16, the Apostle Paul says, speak the truth in love. And in our society today, we, we use that term when we want to tell people in the world that their behavior is sinful. Now, if you didn't understand this, people that are away from Jesus will sin. And trying to get them to stop sinning before they come to know Jesus is impossible. Impossible. You're not going to win that battle. So we have to find a way to speak the truth in love. Not meaning, I'm going to tell you what you need to hear because I love you. That's, that's not it. But that's a misconception in, our, in our, our world today. We're going to give you a piece of our mind, but it's Jesus' mind actually. Um, that's not true. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 defines what love is okay love is defines it so what if we take love is and throw it into ephesians 4 16 speak the truth in love and let's see what we get speak the truth patiently and kindly not just to those who are kind to us but even to those who mistreat us and hate us speak the truth without envy without boasting and without pride speak the truth without dishonoring others including those who oppose truth. Speak the truth without dishonoring others, including those who oppose truth. Speak the truth without being self-seeking. In fact, lay down all your rights and privileges and be willing to sacrifice yourself for those you speak to. Speak the truth without being easily angered, without keeping a record of wrongs. Speak the truth and rejoice in it without delighting in evil or without rejoicing in the destruction of those who practice evil. Speak the truth in a way that always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. That makes it different, doesn't it? But it, it's actually biblical living that sometimes we just forget. The word that I feel like God has for us today is the question, have you forgotten? This church had forgotten first love. They left it. And the the Apostle John, or Jesus, tells them, remember from where you have fallen. 
Okay, again, it's not like, okay, at the beginning when you first got saved, you were doing this and now you've fallen. Remember the standard. The standard is God's character and love. So it's not a question of are you better than the church down the street? Are you better than, you know, you used to be? Are you better than? We're always measuring ourselves by the standard, and the standard is God's love demonstrated for us at Calvary. And anything less needs repentance on our behalf. Repentance does not mean, oh, God, I'm sorry, I'm a terrible person. Well, duh, he knows you're a terrible person because he died for you and he demonstrated his love to make you a new person. And yet, even when you're flawed, he doesn't want you coming with your head down, shame and guilt, I'm, I'll, I'll never measure up. He wants you to recognize the flaws and let him work them out in your life. So I believe there's specific things that God is going to bring back to our mind individually, corporately, uh, as we go through today and as we go through the weeks ahead. In fact, on Tuesday night at House of Prayer, I asked those that were here to pray into this because I really believe that God wants to do this. He did this for me over the last several weeks, uh, and I believe that he wants to do it for all of us. And so we prayed into that. Well, the next day, someone texted me, and it was about something else, and I was sharing a quote that I had read with them, and they said, you know, just today, God reminded me that I was going to take classes, and he told me not to, but to use those 12 hours every week to be in the Word and to be praying and fasting, specifically give that time to him, and I'd forgotten it. And as soon as they said it, it was like, oh, and they were at House of Prayer, but they didn't make the connection. And so I told them, I'm like, do you realize what you're saying? That you're remembering something already? God's answering that prayer. And then they told me that God also showed them another thing that they had forgotten. So there are things that God has spoken to us that we need to remember. It could be a promise that he gave you. It could be a calling that he put on your life. It could be a specific call to obedience in some area. It could be a plan to study, to, to be in the word, to attend. You know, I, as a pastor, all the time people will come up to me and say, Pastor, I feel like the Lord is telling me I need to start attending house of prayer. And they do. They start attending house of prayer and then they realize that prayer isn't like heaven open, angels coming down, visions, and it's hard. And, you know, I don't ever see anything happening happening so I you know I stopped coming yep that that's what happens and so Hebrews chapter 12 verses 1 through 13 we're going to read it we're going to talk to talk about what the Lord's saying and then we're going to pray and some of you are already going to know what he's saying and some of you might need to take a moment and pray and say God what have I forgotten either way if you're a guest here, uh, I don't think you're here by accident. I've been praying all week for the people that need to be here to be here, and uh, here you are. So focus. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, remember in Hebrews 11, all of those people of faith, you know, like Abraham and Moses and David and Samson and Jephthah and all, like, all these people that are listed. And the crazy thing is, there are people listed in Hebrews chapter 11 that were given a promise, but they died and never saw it. And since we are surrounded by all those people, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles us. So in other words, those of you that just want to say, well, the Bible doesn't call that sin so I can do it, are going to not live up to everything God has for you. If all you're hoping is to just avoid the things that are sin, you, you might make it to heaven, but you will not live everything that God has for you. Because the only way to do it is to throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles us and run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, not our neighbor, not our spouse, not our pastor, not our deacons, not the guy down the street, not our boss. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Ready for it? And have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement? Well, hallelujah. I might have forgotten the word of encouragement. <laughs> Some of you that know this passage don't feel encouraged. That addresses you as a father addresses his son. It says, my son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline. 
Do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you're not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. There's a mouthful here. Don't make light of the Lord's discipline. There's two words here, discipline and rebuke or discipline and chasten. Discipline means to train. Okay, and rebuke means what it sounds like, means to whip, to punish, to rebuke. But both of them are being done by a good father who loves us better than any earthly father. So do not, try, do not impose what you think a father should be or what your father was onto our father. Okay, when he rebukes or when he disciplines, it is, it is not harsh. In fact, I shared with someone what I've, I mean, I've, God rebuked me so hard during the week after my surgery. And uh, I wanted to say that he took me to the woodshed, but it was way more gentle than that. I mean, way more. Um, he's not into trying to make you feel terrible. He's not into beating you down. The, the thing is, is God has such lofty dreams and goals for you but he can't put them on you until you have the character to contain them and the only way to develop characters to go through hardship it's it's to be a to be unoffendable if you will toward God and toward people and some of us we we don't remember that even though God tells us don't make light of the Lord's discipline. In other words, don't hear a sermon, don't read a passage of scripture, don't have an encounter with God and make light of it or not take it seriously enough to actually put it into practice in your daily life. And we do that all the time. See, I, I, I believe there are promises, there are words, and there are callings in all of our lives that have yet to be fulfilled. And I believe, I, you know, how many of you know when God makes a promise, we still, even if we served the Lord a long time and read the whole Bible 50 times, we still think it's like tomorrow, right? I mean, God prom- I mean we have a, this emotional moment and God's like, I'm going to restore this 10 times. And you're like, hallelujah. And you forgot it was in like 50 years he's going to do that. And it's like, uh, um, maybe not 50 years maybe, but we, we have a tendency to think it's going to happen way faster. And the problem is we, we forget. And you know why we forget? The parable of the sower. Jesus told the parable of the sower, seeds being sown, the word of God. That's not just about salvation. Any word God has ever given you, a promise from his word, a specific calling on your life, uh, a call to obedience, any word, you have to cultivate it. And Life is going to happen to you. You're going to get busy. Your kids are going to have activities. You're going to be in all kinds of stuff. You're going to have chores to do. Things are going to break down. And the busyness of life can choke out the word. So it's not fruitful. That can happen. It does happen. It's happened to me. Guessing it's happened to you too. Sometimes the word gets scorched. Remember the rocky soil? It got scorched. What was that? That means you start obeying God and all of a sudden it looks like you're on the path to where God's leading you and then your brothers sell you into slavery. Remember the story of Joseph? Had a dream. You're going to be ruler over your brother's father. And what happens next? Slavery. 20 years it took. Slavery and prison for God to be able to put the type of character on Joseph's life so that when he exalted him to the throne, Joseph didn't kill the 12 tribes of Israel. <laughs> you understand what I'm talking about? If God had exalted Joseph to the throne, if he would have got there without the character that he needed to get there, he would have killed God's people. Hey, you sold me into slavery. I'm paying you back. And some of us are not seeing the promises 
Because we've put them on a shelf because our hope has been deferred and our heart has been made sick and we're blaming everyone else. When Martha and Mary, I know we're talking a lot, a lot of Bible verses, so if you're not familiar with the Bible, listen to it again and let's again have coffee and we'll talk through it. But I'm really assuming a lot of you know the Bible today and I don't like to make that assumption. But Mary and Martha, okay, Remember Mary sitting there listening to Jesus. Mark is working hard in the kitchen trying to prepare a meal. And she comes to Jesus and she's like, Jesus, don't you care that Mary is sitting there and I'm working hard in the kitchen? Tell her to come and help me. Jesus, my problem is Mary. Ooh. And Jesus is like, Martha, Martha, you're worried and concerned about so many things, but only one thing. First love. Now, God could have totally called Martha to work in the kitchen. And if, she, if, if he did, then work in the kitchen. And don't be mad at Mary for not showing up and helping you. Oh, we do that. I, I, I never do that. <laughs> but we do. We're like, oh, God, if only someone would help me. What if Martha really wanted to sit at Jesus' feet? Then what if she would have come and said, Jesus, I want to sit here like Mary, but there's so much to do. What, what can I do? And Jesus would have been like, Martha, you just sit down. And when it's time to eat, I'll break a few loaves and fish and we'll have enough for everybody. But the problem was, it's Martha, Mary's fault, Mary's fault, Mary's fault. So some of you who have been blaming your spouse or your kids or your boss or your pastor or anyone else in your life, that's the reason that God, no, no. Because God can totally take everything in your life and use it for good. So what promise, what word, what thing has God spoken to you at an altar, at a camp, at a retreat, at a devotion time, in just a certain moment of your life? And you didn't mean to forget it. It just seemed to be getting further away and it was hard. Let me tell you, I, I know it's hard. Or you just got busy and you didn't mean to forget, but you just forgot. You see, I've been in Huron for 21 years now. 21 years. I don't like to say that out loud because it makes me feel old. Um, and I know that some of you are like, oh, you're so young. Um, but I'm not 20, so I may be younger than you, but, but the standard is 20. <laughs> and, and so that's the age I want. I don't really want to go back to 20, maybe 25, but no, I don't want to go back there either because I didn't know enough <laughs> back then. But we've always contended for this kingdom culture, and I want to peel off a little bit of the layers of my life and let you look in for a second. Um, and I want to be careful how I do it. And I've asked permission of um, Pastor John and Heather to, to start with their situation because that really was a crucial moment for me because all of my life that I've been here pastoring, we've been a house of prayer. If you go back to the very beginning, when I was a youth pastor, we were fasting and praying. I mean, this is just who God wired me to be and wired me to make his people. And so, and the idea of miracles and kingdom power and love for all people, honor, obedience, unoffendable, bait of Satan. I mean, if you think back... This is the same thing I've been saying for 21 years, okay? I thought I knew what it meant back then, but like Paul says to the Ephesians, uh, you will come to know God's love more and more, and you'll never come to the end of it, okay? I feel like that. So Heather and John, back in 2015, had a, a baby boy named Judah, and you know we all contended for him to be healed, totally believed God was going to heal him, and he wasn't healed. And that was a, a tough time for me because, you know, it, we were very public and vocal. God was going to heal. We believed it. And um, it didn't happen. Well, then Heather came to me and said she really felt like God put on her heart that we should pray for resurrection. Now, you, you got to be careful when a grieving mother wants to pray for resurrection. I mean, there's some emotion attached there. And you know, I talked to Steve Shibley, our superintendent. I'm like, help me process this. I feel like we should do it because in essence, she didn't want to put her baby in the ground without exhausting every possible avenue for it. And she said, if I have to put my baby in the ground, I just want to know I did everything. And you can't argue with that. 
And so in my spirit, something just turned. And I'm like, this is going to happen. I mean, this is, this, is the, this is what we've been waiting for. This is the kingdom culture we've been contending for. And man, we, God is going to put this on our church. We are ready. <laughs> we are ready for this. And it didn't happen. A guy from Missouri that we knew named Vincent came to that prayer service. And uh, he said to me after, he said, you know, this is so weird. I was driving around this town, and I, I tell you, there's something different about this town. He said, God is here. He's here. And I don't know what's going to happen at the end of this week, but here's what I want to tell you. This isn't wasted. You know, the, the scripture says that we sow in tears and we reap in joy. And for months... After that little boy passed, I, w I knelt at his grave. I would run past his grave almost, almost daily. And I would kneel down and I'd say, God, don't ever let us forget what we need to remember here. And I would thank Judah for literally giving his life to, to birth something in us. The day after the funeral was like an all-time low for me. And I got a, a call from a, a young lady in our church that has since moved away. And she said that she had a dream. In fact, she texted it to me. She didn't even call. And the dream, in essence, was a tornado was barreling down on our church. And we were in the foyer watching it through the windows. And she said, you went outside and you stood in the parking lot as the tornado was coming at you. And you, she said, you were, you, were, you were talking to it. And we were yelling because we thought you were going to die. And the tornado literally came and was on top of you. And we, were, we thought you were dead. And then all of a sudden it stopped. The sun came out and you just walked back in. Like, That's weird. But okay. So of course I'm like, oh yes, Lord, this was a terrible season. And I, I spoke to the tornado and it didn't work. And <laughs> yeah, that wasn't it. Because then a, a few months later, I believe it came. Because I, I had a staff pastor at the time who believed the Lord told him I was no longer to pastor this church. Not only that, but the Lord was rebuking me because in 2013, when I went through that crazy spell, the Lord told me to leave and I didn't want to or I refused to and now I'm in rebellion. And furthermore, I've said myself, I don't have a pastor's heart. And that was very true. I'd said that. And what I meant by that was I don't feel my major giftings are pastoral. Does that mean I don't love people? No. That I don't care about people? No, that's not what that meant. But you'll notice in the last three years, I've never said that. Because that was a rebuke from the Lord. He's like, why are you saying that? Okay, so I entered into this season and what the Lord needed to do during this season, I believe, was solidify in my heart that none of that was true. During my crazy spell, <laughs> I, I refer to it as my crazy spell. If that offends you, I'm sorry, but I do. Um, <laughs> my family and I affectionately call it that time. <laughs> and there is not. Uh, in fact, I recommend that everybody has one once because <laughs> it... It changes everything. Um, whew. So here's the thing. Um, right before that, a church had called and asked me to consider being their pastor. And that happens a lot. When you're in ministry and you stay somewhere a long time and people's lives get changed, people want you to come be their pastor. There's a shortage of pastors. And I, what I feel like now the Lord is saying is I can't do what I want to do if you're always doing this. And I need to know that you're going to be here. And during my dark season, you know, you, you wrestle in your mind that this is your fault. <laughs> that this is happening to me because uh, I'm a bad person, I'm not a good pastor, I, I've done something wrong. I mean, th maybe that's just me. Maybe you don't do that. But in my dark season, that's what I did. So for someone to use it against me and say that that's what God was saying... I don't believe that. I don't believe God 
does stuff like that to his children. I believe he speaks. I believe he uses bad things in our lives, but I don't believe he offers, authors them. Don't, I don't. Um, you might believe differently, but I just don't. Um, and then I was saying I didn't have a pastor's heart. So I, I had to work on those things. And for three years, the Lord has been doing something in my life, preparing me for this moment. And during these last three weeks, I've literally had the door opened and uh, I have seen how God has ordered my steps literally for 21 years to prepare me for this moment. Now, that doesn't mean I don't have anything left to learn. <laughs> in fact, I could tell you all the things I've learned in the last three weeks and you would think, wow, you have a lot to learn. I do. <laughs> it's okay. But what I'm saying is um, God is doing something in our church. I believe it. And it's about restoration. Royal Family Kids Camp has been on my heart for years. I've always wanted to, to do one. I feel like God's all over that. Um, we needed a director. And I'll never forget the day Christia District Council said, I feel like I'm supposed to be the director. And my word from the Lord was, no, <laughs> that's not from God. But you know how you're like thinking about something and you're like, that's the craziest thing I've ever heard, but you know it's God? Has that ever happened to you? Yeah, so she's been doing it, um, and it's not her strong suit, but she's been doing it. Why? Because there was a need. She was so overwhelmed by the need, she didn't need God to speak so audibly, and she didn't need all the stars to line up. She's just like, I'll do it. I'll do it. And it's worked out good so far, uh, crazy good so far, and uh, it's going to keep growing, and it needs to grow into mentoring clubs that's going to even be more. But a few years ago, I actually felt like God was calling me into that type of ministry full time because it was such a part of my heart. And uh, he wasn't doing that, but he was trying to infuse it into the culture of our church to care for orphans, widows, needy, broken, hurting people. I know that sounds real spiritual. We want to care for hurting, wounded, terrible, neglected people, but that's harder than you think it is. And it's way more costly than you think it is. And we have to be willing to give everything up if we're going to do it. And I believe God's called us to do it. And it's, it's kind of scary. There are three things specifically that I want to just share with you briefly that God has spoken to me over this season that I think are not just for me personally, but are for us as a church if we're going to follow God into restoration, and restoration is not just about buying a building downtown. Restoration is about forgotten people in forgotten places. It's about ministering to the hurting, the lonely, the outcast. It's about planting a church in every community in South Dakota. Every one of them needs a church. Because there are people, I don't care if it's a community of 60, it needs a church. Because those 60 people count and they matter. It's about caring for foster kids and orphans and widows. It's about restoring relationships. It's about prodigals who've walked away from the Lord. It's about people in ministry who have walked away from the church that need restoration. It's about restoration of marriages and parents and children. It's about racial restoration. It's about a social gospel that cares for people even if they reject Jesus and refuses to stop caring for them until the day we die. That's what it's about. And if you want to go on that journey with me, that's where we're going. Three things we got to do, though. One, we need to look at Jesus. We need to look at Jesus. It does not mean we don't get advice or counsel from other people. It doesn't mean we don't need people. That's an excuse that some people say, I just need Jesus. It means we need to learn to rely on what Jesus is showing us to do as a body and as individuals. Jesus needs to show us we need to develop such intimacy with him that he is all that matters. We need to make ourselves of no reputation, get our identity from him, not rely on the praise of people, not be swayed by the criticism of people, and he needs to be enough. If there's no miracle, if there's no promise fulfilled, if there's nothing else other than that cross, it needs to be enough. And I will spend my life because of that cross. 
even if nothing else comes. One day, this last year, I was downtown praying, and I had the thought, I don't know where it came from, but the thought said, what if, now that you've told the whole community, (laughs) this is what you're going to do, if you don't think that frightens me, you you don't know me, um, what if it never happens? Are you going to look like an idiot? Yep. Are you, isn't it going to be a waste of time? No. I knew instantly everything that God's been doing in my heart this last year, exposing in me, showing me, it's not a waste of time. It's exactly what he's called me to do at this moment. So whether it ever works out that we buy it or the city uses it for something else, don't really care at this point. I'm just going to keep following Jesus. So there's, there's that. Number two, don't look back. Don't look back. I'm a firm believer in learning from our mistakes, and I do. If I make a mistake, I try to learn from it, try to move on. But don't look back means stop looking back longingly. Don't look back to another time and wish we could go back. Don't look back to another program and wish we could get it back. Don't look back to people who have moved away or left the church and wish they could come back. That doesn't mean I don't love those people. Let me let you know a little secret. The hardest thing about pastoring in a small town is you see people regularly who left your church. You do. I mean, you can't avoid them. You can try to avoid them, but it's awkward. Um, And I can honestly tell you, more than at any other time in my life, no person who has ever said anything about me, accused me, left our church, anything. There's just nothing in my heart but blessing and good for them. I want it for them. But we think that anytime someone leaves a church, it's somebody's fault. And if they're our friend, and this doesn't just apply here, this is every church, okay? If it's our friend, then it must be the other person. That's what we think. But you remember Barnabas who mentored Paul, Saul? And Barnabas and Paul went on a missionary journey, and then they had a division, over John Mark. Did you know that John Mark was Barnabas's cousin? Mm, yeah, that changes the story, doesn't it? Okay, so who was right, though? Was Paul right or was Barnabas right? The Bible never tells us. But sometimes the specific calling that God has on a person and the specific calling that God has on a church doesn't match. And they have to, to part. We don't want that to happen, but it happens. And so... We have to not look back. And the third thing, don't look at other churches. Don't look at other churches. See, I'm a firm believer in learning from other people, but don't expect other churches to approve or not even criticize you for where I'm about to lead you. Some churches will say we're watering down the gospel. We will never water down the gospel. The gospel is the gospel. Jesus is the only way. And if you don't commit your life fully to him, you, you don't have a chance But there are some people that go to church and look good on the outside but have never committed themselves to Jesus. And there are some people that look like filth on the outside but their hearts are committed to Jesus. I'm just, I I don't know how to rectify it but we're gonna never compromise the gospel but we can't expect other churches to approve it. And the second part of that is don't judge them for not following where I lead you. Because now that I feel like this is what God is calling us to as a church, the temptation is to be like, well, why don't other churches do this? And the Lord brought back to my mind Jesus telling Peter, don't worry about John, you follow me. And that's what he's saying. That's what I feel like he's saying to us as a church. Now I want to come back to the words because I believe there are things as a church that we've forgotten. Last year, I gave you a copy of the memoirs from our founding pastor. I love that our founding pastor was a woman. I love that. I love that's in our DNA from the beginning. I believe it's biblical. And she shares about what happened at the the beginning of that church, how it started, where it was located, what God did, the miracles, the provision, the love. I believe, if you don't have a copy of it anymore, I still have it. I'll give you a new one. Read it. Read it. And say, God, what have we forgotten from this that we need to come back to? So there's a corporate part of this, but there's an individual part too. And the individual part, in just a moment, I'm going to share a video with you, and then we're going to close. Because 
for some of us, especially, that word we've walked away from, that calling, that promise, that obedience, we feel like it just got too hard or we missed God. We missed God. We blame it on emotionalism. Well, I was just emotional at camp and that really wasn't what God said. It really was what God said. You have to understand, God chooses to give us what we need over what we want. And when he gives us a promise, a promise, he's going to help us fulfill that. So I want us to watch this video, and then we're going to close. Everybody has a hero. Okay. Mine's my dad. Yes, I get it. Since mom died, it's only been us. He has a way of filling my life with color. Dad, which one? That one. Sometimes I don't understand his advice, but I trust him. And what always brought us together was our love for running. One day, I'll be faster than him. And when I am, I'm gonna win every marathon in the world. Abby? What's wrong, champ? Or at least that was my plan. I'm losing my sight. And real quick, read to me the lowest level that you can see on there. What is called is interocular melanoma. Eye cancer. Unfortunately, you will lose your vision. That was the day my father disappeared. Wakey. Ready to run, champ? Come on. I thought he would always be there for me. I guess I was wrong. Dad, where are you? Dad! <laughs> you abandoned me. Where are you, Dad? Where did you go? Do you not love me anymore? Am I still beautiful? Are you no longer proud of me? How could you leave me when I need you the most? Abby thinks I've left her. And as much as it pains me to hear that, she's right. I've left her. The best that we can do is can save the actual eye so that cosmetically she doesn't lose them. That's my girl. That's my girl. That's my little girl. There's support groups, and I know this is a very difficult time. No! I've left her to realize she's more courageous than she ever imagined. I've left her to discover how beautiful she is from the inside out. I've left her to challenge herself in ways she never considered. I've left her to discover how strong she really is. here, baby. Listen, no one believes in you more than I do.
about how far you've come. My dad says he gave me what I needed, not what I wanted. You ready? Yep. Folks, what we're seeing here is amazing. This is a testament of true love. Love is allowing someone to see their true worth and beauty. I used to think my dreams were over. I thought I'd never run again. And even though I can't see my dad, I know he's guiding me the entire way. I used to think my dreams were over. The promise just got really far away. I didn't expect that. See, for every one of us in this room, the promise, the word that's been forgotten, different reasons. I want you to take just a moment and bow your heads, close your eyes. Some of you in this room, I believe the Lord has already showed you the promise, the calling, the word. Maybe for some of you, you really haven't forgotten it. You just want to. (laughs) You just feel like it's getting further away. Can I tell you that just like on that video, you have a father in heaven that is behind the scenes moving things around for you, even when you don't see him. And even when you don't think he's there, he's there. Some of you, maybe you don't have any idea. Would you take just a moment and say, God, have I forgotten something? Is there something I need to come back to, but I need to give you a warning that I haven't given yet. The Lord is gonna remind you of words. And the moment you come back to it, it's not gonna be any easier than than it was the first time because the character development still needs to take place. But why it's gonna be better is because your perspective is gonna change. You're gonna know God is with you through it all. So what's he saying right now to you? What's he trying to restore in your heart? Just receive it. The Bible tells us when we come before the throne of God with humble hearts that says, God, I've forgotten this word or I've gotten busy and I've neglected it or I just, I let it go, it got hard. When we come in that posture of repentance, we get mercy. See, we don't get a speech about how he told us what we needed to do. And we hope that you're gonna do better this. We get mercy and we get grace the power to help us when we need it to finish seeing that thing through. So in just a moment, as I close this service in prayer, some of you need to take some time and pray. And I'm gonna open the altars to you. Some of you can come, you can kneel. Our prayer team is gonna be here in the front at the end. If you want someone to pray with you, we'd love that privilege. But I hope that every one of us today doesn't make light of the Lord's discipline. But that we totally open our hearts to what he wants to say in this moment. Stand with me if you would. Holy Spirit, thank you. Thank you for loving us enough to tell us the things that we need to hear in our lives. Thank you for not removing every obstacle from our lives, every opportunity for offense, every difficulty, every trial. And thank you that as we walk through every one of them, you are training us for future righteousness, 
future blessing, future harvest. I pray for every person in this room today. Holy Spirit, that you would shower mercy down upon those who come to you in repentance, that you would shower grace down upon their lives. God, to renew that path toward that promise, toward that word, toward that thing you've spoken over their lives. So Holy Spirit, I just ask that you would solidify your words in every heart in this room right now. I ask in Jesus' name. Again, these altars are open to you. If you want to come, if you want to find a place of prayer, if you want to be prayed for. Otherwise, if you want to be dismissed, if you need to be dismissed, uh, please just do it quietly. Let this room be a place of prayer for those that want to spend a little bit more time in prayer. And then uh, just save all of your visiting for out in the lobby area. And parents, don't forget to take your sticker when you go to pick up your children. Thank you for being here. God bless you as you go today.